Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. I'm Eric Anderson, one of the elders here at Faith Church, and it's just such a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. We are continuing in a series in, uh, about in the book of 1 Corinthians, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to open up there. If you need one, there's, there's uh, Bibles in the back as well. Um, we entitled this whole series the Messy Church, which is very appropriate for some of the challenges and issues that the people in Corinth are facing. And to be honest, uh, it applies to us as well. The church is always messy. Uh, last week, Pastor Mike talked about coming into community through the work of Christ. And this morning, uh, as we open 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, starting in verse 10, we're going to be looking at a, at a principle, a takeaway that I, I, I hope you'll remember if you remember nothing else. And it's simply this, that, that uh, there is no room for boasting or for quarreling at the foot of the cross. That's the, that's the, the challenge that Paul is giving the people in Corinth, and it's certainly applicable for us today. Now, I don't know if you've been involved in a lot of athletic competitions or if you're a fan of any particular sport or politic or whatever, but uh, you familiar with the term trash-talking? You, you probably hear it. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you like it. It's a sport in some families uh, when you have people rooting for a different, a different candidate or a different athlete or a different team. Lots of that going on today with football that will be on. And trash-talking is just the idea of verbal taunting, you know, and making fun of the other guy and, and rooting on your own team, but to the detriment of others. And uh, I had to, I got to experience that growing up. Unfortunately, my, I have a younger brother who's a far better basketball player than me. And uh, boy, he, lo- he thought he was really good at, he was really good at basketball, but he thought he was good at trash talking. You know, he, when he was younger, he could dunk the ball over me and he would do that and then turn and point his finger at me and go, yo mama, you know, it's some, some kind of insult, I think. Uh, but it didn't make a lot of sense because I, I think to myself, well, my mama is yo mama, you know. I mean, what did you just say? You know, but to this day, my, my brother will do that. I mean, my, my boys will testify. We go out and shoot baskets, and every time he makes one, he'll yell yo mama. And it's just, I don't know. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense in a way. But you know what, you know what else doesn't make sense is trash talking not for yourself and your own skills, but for being a fan of somebody else's skills, you know, you, it's kind of odd that we would uh, get so enamored with a, a politician or a sports team that we, we trash talk on their behalf and they don't even know us, you know, and it's just really, I don't know, it's, it must be human nature. Because here we are in the church in Corinth, and we're hearing trash talking. Uh, we're going to see that in a moment, starting uh, in verse 10, where people are trash talking on behalf of the church leaders that they seem to prefer. And so as, as we open God's word and, and see this, there's such a contrast to the calling that God has for us to be people of humility uh, and to embrace the fact that we are weak and not really able to, uh, to own any of the, the, the kind of pride that we so often do. I know we've prayed some, but just let me pray one more time, just briefly, for our time together. Father, I, I pray as we, we approach your word that we do so with eagerness and attentiveness, with, a, with humility and with a desire to hear from you. We don't need to hear from this messenger we do need to hear from you that, Lord, we would be unified, that our, that our humble approach to your word uh, would be because of the cross. So thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Before I read this passage, I just want to remind you that, that the idea of, of humility, the idea of, uh, of not boasting and of being unified is prevalent throughout the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, next week you'll hear from Chris Risk and he'll be talking about the calling for us to be uh, drawn together in the name of the Lord. We also will hear more about these, this idea of personality cults and following individuals and their gifting in, in chapter 3. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll hear from Paul as he addresses the arrogance that some of the people in this church uh, display toward the apostles. And then later in the book, there's boasting going on regarding uh, sexual sin within the church. And there's, there's all kinds of uh, discord. There's lawsuits among believers. There's conflict over food and drink in the church and misbehaving people when they come together. And it culminates in some really important teachings later in 1 Corinthians about what it means to be the body of Christ and how we're to be unified together with different gifts and yet one God and glorifying him as we come together in his name. So the idea of, of struggling in relationships and in, with quarreling and boasting is is, is throughout this passage of Scripture. But let's just focus on uh, chapter 1 here this morning. And I'll read a few verses here, starting in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is, one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? That brings us to the, the first principle here this morning. There, there is nothing that we ought to be boasting about in relation to people we follow. To I, this, I, this idea of identifying with, with personalities. You know, apparently what's going on here is that people are getting caught up in who they like, who their favorite leader is. And uh, it's, it's not new. I mean, we've already kind of touched on it with the idea of trash talking. But we as a community here love to grab on to some hero in our culture. It could be a sports hero or a politician. It could be, uh, we, we could live vicariously through our own children and their accomplishments. Uh, we could be lifting up and elevating a pastor to a, a position of so much respect and admiration that it's not even appropriate. We, we do this with movie stars and, and musicians and just about anybody else that seems to grab our attention. I call it the, the personality cult. And it, it's so prevalent that it's actually, from apparently the very beginning, crept into the churches. Uh, it's certainly true today. Um, if you look at uh, Christian television, there's so many networks that, that broadcast uh, these bigger-than-life personalities who, who stand and preach. And uh, some may be good, I don't know. Many of them not so good theologically. But what seems to matter the most is how they look, how they sound, and what kind of, kind of the, the cool message that they might bring to make people feel better. You know, I've heard it said that, that pu the pulpit is... A stage where idols fit very nicely. 
And it is something that we probably unintentionally do as God's people sometimes. We put people on a pedestal and we worship them. And that creates in them a reciprocal kind of thing like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like being worshipped. And then you end up with this kind of unhealthy relationship between those who are teaching and preaching and those who are, are hearing. And it's just, it's not healthy at all. I remember visiting a church years ago, and it was a church that had pews rather than chairs like this. And do you remember that, I don't know if you've been to churches with pews, they have kind of a unique layout. They have those little plastic cup holder thingies for the tiny communion, uh, communion cups. And they also had pencils everywhere. There were hundreds of pencils in the, in the pews. And I pulled one of those little short pencils out, and there's the pastor's name emblazoned on the pencil. And I thought... Okay, that's kind of strange. You know, why is this guy's name here so, so prevalent? I don't even recall that his church's name was on there. It was like it was very important apparently to him or to somebody in that church that I remember the name of the, the guy who was preaching that Sunday. And by the way, I don't remember his name, so it didn't do any good. Um, Another time, uh, quite a few years ago, I was, I was a new elder and, and interacting with a pastor who had, had a, kind of a, had a trouble making decisions together with the other elders. He kind of liked to press a bit forward and kind of come into meetings and tell us what had been decided. And I just asked him, what, what is it you're afraid of in terms of, you know, talking about something before you make a decision? And his his response was well they don't make they don't make statues of committees and boards and i thought oh brother now i don't know if you're thinking about what you're saying there is that what you want is a statue Really? I mean, that is just, I, I, there's probably, there's some pithy saying, it was probably some great leader trying to inspire people to take ownership of, of leading an organization. But boy, that, that didn't make the least bit of sense. And it is, it's kind of that, that mentality that sometimes creeps into the church, that pastors get a little bit too full of themselves, and sometimes people like that idea. Um, now I will tell you, I'm going to stop here for a moment and say I am so thankful to the Lord that that is not what's going on here at Faith Church. I know it's not happening this morning, but it certainly doesn't happen with Pastor Mike. The, the relationship we have as an elder team is so healthy and so helpful and encouraging, and, and we're working together in this. And that's, that's the intent. That's actually what, uh, a bit of what Paul is trying to get to for, uh, in this teaching, is that sometimes uh, we are so we unintentionally create the idols that we that that God would have us tear down because it's it's this boasting it's the idea of boasting about the the personality that we are uh, claiming to follow. There's also uh, a boasting that might and this is related, but it might be kind of an ethnic boasting that's going on. And, and bear with me with a little bit of speculation here, but I'm going to speculate that some of the I follow Apollos and I follow. Paul or Peter are, is an ethnic kind of thing. Um, Apollos was an Egyptian uh, from Alexandria. Uh, 
probably looked and talked quite differently than than those uh, who were uh, in Corinth. You know, Paul was a, a the Jew of Jews before he came to know Christ, and so his his background is going to be in the education in the in the synagogue. And then you have Peter. Peter's the fisherman. You know, who people marveled at because of his wisdom. And as far as we know, he may not have had the kind of education that these others did. And so they are possibly ethnically and certainly culturally very, very different. And that's not unexpected in a place like Corinth. Corinth is a kind of a metropolis and a crossroads of a lot of different cultures. We have Greeks and, and Egyptians and, and people from, you know, from Jerusalem, the, the ethnic Jews and, and uh, other, all kinds of other uh, countries around that area coming together. And now a new church is being built up. And so there may be some challenges with, with the fact that sometimes we tend to gravitate just a little bit towards people who look and sound and talk just like us. Um, I was raised in a culture that was very, very homogenous, and everybody looked the same. Uh, it happened to be northern Colorado, and I was raised there, and everybody was uh, ethnically German. Uh, they had come from, uh, come from Russia about a hundred years before, and everybody was, not everybody, but seemed like it was Lutheran. And so, as I was raised in that culture, there were some, there were some ethnic fears, uh, particularly, and I don't know why, but particularly toward Jewish people, just a fear, like there's something, I don't know, just stay away. Uh, and and uh, I had a dear old great aunt who uh, was aware of that, and had heard some of the, the unhealthy comments going on in, uh, amongst the German Lutherans that I was with. And she said, you know, you know, we're, we're Germans from Russia, right? And you know your history books. And that why did Germans end up in Russia? Because they were fleeing from Germany in the early 20th century. Well, why were they fleeing? Well, it was because of religious persecution. And uh, she said... Yeah, there were a lot of Lutherans, but there, there were the, the old folks used to say there were also some special Lutherans that were there as well. They worshipped on Saturdays, and they didn't eat pork chops. And, uh, and in our heritage are people who were not at all like, you know, the, the people worshipping together in our Lutheran church. And uh, I just remember the, the young people going, oh, that's so cool. We're Jewish. I'm so excited. You know, kind of this like revelation that maybe the ethnicity that we had claimed or that we had feared was that us was them. We were part of that. And, and I know my children kind of take pride in that. And it's, I don't know, I might be 1% Jewish. I have no idea. You know, those, maybe these new DNA tests can untangle that. But certainly we can take from that that the Lord has no room for us to be anything but united in his name, regardless of our background, regardless of our ethnicity, our uh, our culture, or any of that. You know, when we read in, read in the book of Galatians, Paul is very specific in his teaching. He says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offering and heirs according to the promise. It is, it is a, a part of this story that the boasting that we sometimes do about our background or about who we are or how we were raised, it needs to be set aside because uh, that kind of ethnic or gender or class trash talking has no place in the body of Christ. 
There's also, uh, there's also an issue going on here that is very clear that Paul is addressing pride uh, and it's pr- pride in power and strength. Um, eight times in this passage, you'll see the word power or something very close to it. The sin of pride is very prevalent and in particular, the sin of pride in our own power or in the power of those that we're following. And the, this has been true throughout the entirety of scripture. People have always boasted, and then God has always been in the business of humbling. You remember, remember David, or yeah, David and Goliath, right? I mean, Goliath was was trash talking David. Who's this puppy dog coming near to to come after me? And those were maybe literally his last words before that puppy dog killed him. Um, or think about. Tobias and Sanballat and the, and the discouragement they were hurling at, at Nehemiah when he and his people were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, saying things like, that's the most pathetic wall I've ever seen. If a fox ran on it, it'll collapse. Um, or, or the one that just a couple months ago we, we visited here in, the, in, the, uh, in church when we were studying in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar got so excited about his own power and so full of himself. He said uh, in the book of Daniel um, that is not this the great Babylon as he oversaw his city, which I have built by my mighty hand and power and as a, as a royal residence suitable for my, the, my own glory and majesty. And those were the last words he spoke before the Lord struck him down and had him essentially live like an animal in the, out in the, uh, in the woods and the weeds for as long as it took for him to be humbled by the Lord. God is not the least bit interested in our boasting about our own power or about the power of those around us. And it is possible, maybe even likely, that some of the boasting that these people are doing in regards to Paul and Peter and Apollos has to do with the, the amazing signs and wonders and the supposed power that those, those men had displayed. I mean, Peter had raised people from the dead. And Paul had been uh, struck by the Lord and, and brought to, to Christ and had been an incredible evangelist. Apollos was incredibly learned and was a, a man that the other parts of Scripture say he had studied uh, in, uh, in Alexandria and was in, amazingly wise and learned. And so depending on people's particular needs, they might have been gravitating towards that type of power, that type of uh, influence, maybe the desire to be a little bit like that person and identifying with them. And uh, you know what? God's, God's word is saying, no, I have, those, those are nothing. Paul said, I'm nothing. He, he's like, I don't even know. I don't think I hardly converted anybody in your midst. And I baptized a couple and I don't remember their names and I forgot and oh, maybe them. But it's, this is not me. This is not a big deal. I am, I am nothing and I am no one. The messenger is, is a servant just like you. And so he's addressing power and asking us to stop with the idea of boasting about ourselves or about those that we follow. Then you get to wisdom. There's another aspect of something that we can boast about. 16 times in this same passage, the the word wisdom or something like it is found. And it it isn't too surprising. I think Paul is is addressing a church that had some challenges with with their their obsession with earthly wisdom. Uh, Corinth is is a church, a city that's only about 50 miles from Athens in Greece. And, you know, the the Greeks were renowned for their pursuit of worldly wisdom. Um, in fact, uh, 
I don't know if you remember uh, in the book of Acts what Paul found when he went to Athens. Um, Luke says that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there in Athens would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They were just obsessed with knowledge. It's like book knowledge and wisdom or, or philosophies or ideas, religious, uh, religious so-called wisdom, right? And, they, and God was at work to, to humble that and to break that because all of this worldly wisdom added up to absolutely nothing. And, you know, the, our society and maybe even occasionally our churches get filled with this, this idea of, of earthly, inclusive, progressive wisdom about things like there's no absolute truth and everything and every idea needs to be accepted equally and who are you to judge? And the next thing you know, Christians are kind of on the outside looking in. People are saying to us, are you kidding me? You think there's only one way to God? Really? Jesus Christ, a sa- this little sacrificial lamb is the savior of the world? That, that's nonsense. Are, are you serious? You believe that there is a, a God who, a creator who made the universe and breathed life into human beings as creations in his image? That is utter nonsense. That is just craziness. And the, and the world would say that their inclusive attitudes, is, there's a line to be drawn. You shall be excluded from our inclusive society because of your, your wacky points of view. And that's, that's kind of the difficulty that we face with God's truth and wisdom when it comes to the world. And I suspect that uh, the people at that time were boasting about their progressive attitudes. Later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has to address the fact that these people are proud that they... Um, Include in their body people who are in, actively engaged in sexual sin, and so that's it's pretty clear that there's issues with uh, people's total lack of understanding of the ways of God, and so uh, this is a hard teaching. But the earth, the wisdom of men adds up to absolute nothingness in the eyes of the Lord, and it's very important that we recognize that our own wisdom doesn't add up to a hill of beans. They also have religious superiority, and I'm going to clarify my terminology here. I'm not referring to comparing a follower of Christ to other world religions. I'm speaking that within, within the body of Christ, there's often schisms, factions, divisions around the type of Christian that we call ourselves and around the type of leader that we align ourselves with, which we just saw uh, as we dealt with these three personalities. You know, I, we can speak with, with pride and rightfully so about the history of the Evangelical Free Church. By the way, if you don't know it, it's a Scandinavian-based church that came, was, was born in Sweden and Norway and uh, about a, 130 years ago or so. And some, uh, some godly, uh, Evangelicals had moved to the United States and started a movement of, of similar churches here. Um, a few years ago, I was sharing with a young person who was a believer about the legacy and the history of my church, and I shared all of that. and And then I asked him, "Well, tell me about your uh, your, your your church. What what's the history of it?" And the answer I got was very short. My church was established by Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, and then all of a sudden it dawns on me, 
there's one of the trash talkers that's a little harder than the others here. It's that one that said, I follow Christ. And now I can interpret that more accurately. What that person was saying was, I follow Christ and you don't. And you know what? There was probably in that church, I'm imagining people who were there at the crucifixion. I'm imagining there may have been people in that church who had seen the resurrected Jesus. And, and instead of seeing that as a privilege, they saw it with arrogance. And they said, with saying to themselves, well, Jesus is a friend of mine. And I didn't need an apostle. I knew him personal. And you had to settle for hearing the word of God from Apollos or Paul or Peter. I'm, I'm just extra special. And so maybe there's some speculation there, but that kind of trash talking is going on here. Um, and there might have gone on as well with those who followed Apollos or Paul or Peter. Um, it's that kind of religious superiority that within the body of Christ, some Christians are more equal than others. And you just have to be super careful that we would avoid that with, because that is, that is right at the heart of what Paul is, is telling us to stop boasting about. He also uh, implies that we would not boast about, in a spiritual way, about our gifting, kind of the idea of spiritual pride. And Paul is, is called an evangelist, and Apollos, perhaps, he's the one that waters in another part of 1 Corinthians. So there's this, there's this uh, discussion about different spiritual gifts, and the temptation is that we take pride in whatever spiritual gift God gave us, which, again, makes no sense, but we do it. Like, I am so proud that I get to be a teacher or a preacher, or I am so proud of the prophetic gift that I have because I can just, I can just lay it on people. Or I'm really proud to be one of those gift of mercy people because, you know, I don't have to be seen. And, and oh, by the way, why doesn't anyone ever appreciate me? You know, or uh, you pick your gift and there's going to be a weak spot. There's going to be a, a point of boasting or a point of frustration. Um, and so we gravitate towards people like ourselves and we find ourselves uh, becoming becoming frustrated and becoming arrogant because of because of the differences that we have with one another. And if I left anything out that we can boast about, we can just say practically anything else. The church has always been great at boasting about our, our looks, our money, our personality, our popularity, how much growth we have, what our budget is, uh, how many cars are in the parking lot, uh, how good our children are, how great these ministries are. Uh, then we have pop pop culture standards and my church is cooler than yours and all kinds of things that we could get into. And if you can't come up with one, then we can just say, well, I'm boasting about the fact that I have nothing to boast about because I'm the most humble person. So, you know, it's just part of reality. This is part of the fall. And it's something that is on Paul's mind when he takes us to the next step here. He contrasts so strongly all of these things that I've been mentioning with a very, very simple and profound truth. We need to go to the foot of the cross. The foot of the cross is the lowest spot on earth. It's the, it is the starting point. It is the, the place where all are made equal. Let's, let's look, uh, pick up our passage of Scripture and, and start in verse 20 again. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the, 
in the wisdom of God. The world did not know God through this wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly for the Gentiles. This, this gospel, this cross that Christ was laid and died on is foolishness and nonsense to the world. That's the folly that, that Paul is thinking about when he says that the foolishness of God is greater than all the wisdom of the world. And he's bringing down any, any opportunity for boasting. In fact, if you look at the, the takeaway that I mentioned at the beginning of this message, there is no room for boasting or quarreling at the foot of the cross. And it's very simply because all the efforts of humanity, all the power, all the strength, all the wisdom adds up to absolute nothingness in the scheme of God's economy. You know, th- this is the bad news that goes before the good news. But it's a, it's a part of the gospel that we need to embrace for ourselves and that we need to be willing to preach to people that we cannot do this on our own. We have no ability to be made right with God, to impress God, and or to impress one another. You know, I, I think death is, and particularly the death of the Lord, is a great unifying thing. You know, imagine, and I've been just pondering this this vision of standing at the foot of the cross all week in preparation for this, and what an absolute horrifying thing that would be to have been there, to watch this, this death unfold in such a gruesome and graphic manner, and to have someone that you've, you have loved with all your heart be put to death. And there is, in that moment, There is not one small thought in our minds that we would somehow be boasting about ourselves or squabbling about something with those that are standing around the cross. It is just an absolute, it's that moment of just equalizing that we are all in, we're already grieving before Christ has died, you know. And, and the, the idea of this death bringing us together is, is something we, we, we live out as human beings. And this afternoon, Nancy Carlson's family will come together to celebrate her life. That's just a moment of, it's a sober moment, but it's a moment of unity because it brings us together in, in the reality of the fact that we all face the same, the, the same end result of our lives. Um, in Ecclesiastes 7.2, it says that it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all of us. The living will lay this to heart. We're all going to be facing death. We all face the death of the Lord, death of loved ones, and our own. And, and it, is, it is high time that that become a humbling thing, a, a humiliating thing for us that would bring us to the Lord and, and make us realize that he's the only one that offers hope. You know, in, a part of the gospel is, is this idea that we need to stop trying to impress God and somehow earn his favor, right? You know, I, I use the analogy of... Like if if getting to God was a contest, it would be like a race, like a swimming race, okay? And the swimming race starts in San Diego and it ends in Honolulu, 
Okay, so you got some people that are like phenomenal swimmers, you know, they're, they're the really righteous and holy people, and they can swim for like 40 miles, you know, which gets them like nowhere in this, in this race. And some people can't swim at all, right? You throw them in the water. If, you, if God threw all of us in the water and said, swim to Hawaii, you know, some people would drown in the first five seconds, and others would swim for hours, but nobody's going to make it. You know, and that, that, that's kind of the idea about humility in, in terms of would you, would you really go and try to impress God with your goodness? It, it, is, it isn't even close. And so, so this idea of, of human wisdom, human strength being utter, at all impressive to God is, is complete nonsense. The, the Jews demanded a sign. Well, the sign is that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again. The, the Greeks demand, uh, sought after wisdom, and the wisdom is to become a fool and follow Jesus. And so, the, once again, the economy of human beings is just completely set aside. The response that God has called us to, if we've not come to know him, is to repent and trust in him and stop trying to impress God and simply trust that Jesus Christ has, has died for our sins, risen again, and that we can trust in him for that, that, that sacrifice will, set, will, will satisfy the wrath of God. Otherwise, there is, no, there is no other hope. And for the Christian, and particular, particularly us together in the church, the calling is to stop, stop, claiming somehow that our own wisdom or power or that our person is somehow better than another's and that we have somehow got this contest going between ourselves and our relationship with God. My apostle can beat up your apostle. I mean, it does, it's just, are you kidding? You know, is that, it isn't something that God is the least bit interested. And when we, when we ponder the cross, when we ponder the death of Christ, I, I believe it will change our perspective on what it means to be together in, in Christ. When, when we come together around the Lord's table, the calling is unity. We, almost talk, we talk about every time we come together. Let's be unified together as the body of Christ, partaking in his death, remembering his broken body, remembering his shed blood. It is the great unifier, not because of the, the little the ceremony that we do, but because of Christ himself and what he's done for us. We have, that's, it is true and genuine and utter unity. It, we need to embrace the reality of it. Um, and it's, it's the calling that God has put on every one of us. You know what's exciting, though, is God doesn't leave us just at the foot of the cross. God doesn't leave us there forever in the sense of how to live our lives. And the, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and we also celebrate the fact that God has changed us. And if we'll humble ourselves, there is a complete change in what God will do within our hearts. So start back in verse 24 and, and listen to the contrast. Uh, until now, Paul has been pounding away at the, the reality of the hum, humiliating circumstances of being a human being. And now he speaks to the church. He speaks to Christians and says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So when he says that the, the weakness of God is stronger than the, the power of men, he's not, talking, 
He, I mean, it's true that he's comparing God in a distant way to us here on earth, but he's talking about the power of God within us, that we have something that we're not, that we ought to be boasting about, that we have the power in the life of the Holy Spirit of the living God within us, and that the power of God within us is far greater than anything that we could possibly conjure up about ourselves. And the, 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 the strength of God is, is immeasurable and great within us. And this is true. This should be uniting us again. It, we're, we're not Jews or Greeks or Romans. We're not Germans or Russians or Egyptians. We're called to be living together on the body of Christ because this, the same Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. Keep going in this passage for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose us. God chose what is foolish in the world. Well, there we are. We're foolish, right? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose us who are weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No human being can boast in the presence of God, whether we know him or not. It doesn't matter. No human being has one thing to boast about in the presence of God. But we're going to see a little twist on that here in a moment. But I will tell you this, I, can, I, can, I feel like I've lived out this passage, uh, and I know my family would say the same over the last nine months. You know, sometimes you, you say, well, I'm weak, and what you're really saying is, well, I'm, I should be weak. Well, sometimes you really are. You know, when the Lord, uh, when tragedy strikes your family, the weakness is, uh, you, you don't have a choice about it. It is, it is right there, and you're... Your, your wisdom has been annihilated. You know, what I thought were great plans for my life are not, were not worth the piece of paper they were written on. When God intervenes, our plans just become nothing more than ideas. Uh, when God takes those that we love from us, then we've become so weak, you wonder how you can wake up and, and move. And the, the, whole, the whole process of grieving is the most exhausting thing. And it is then that you find that maybe God has brought me here for a purpose. And that purpose is to show his strength and to show his power in this weakness. Because I'm going to tell you, I have never had more fruit in my life than I have in the last nine months. I've opened my mouth and shared the Lord and had people respond and come to Christ. I've had people who have said that something about my journey has changed their life. I, I've had, usually it's smaller things. This past week, I had someone whom I love and trust very much uh, read something that I had written about my faith journey over the last nine months. And he responded to me that his, he felt like he loved Jesus a little bit more because of reading that. And I thought, that is about as good as it gets on this side of, the, of eternity, that somebody would love the Lord a little bit more because of something I said, something I did, something I modeled, something I experienced. And that is just amazing, amazing fruit. And I can promise you, it is not about me. It probably sounds like boasting, um, and maybe it is. We'll get to that in a moment. But it is truly 
I know what's going on in my heart. I know that I have nothing. And that this is, this is strength being displayed in weakness because I don't have a single thing to offer right now in my life. Um, but there's so much benefit to, to this idea of humility. I, I, I've, I've said before, humility is its own reward. Being selfless is the most helpful thing. We all ought to do it for our own benefit uh, because... Because when we are selfless people, we are not concerned about ourselves. And when we're not concerned about ourselves, we're able to be used by the Lord to his kingdom and his glory. And look at the benefit in verse 30. Because of him, because of Christ himself, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So when we're humbled, when we're truly humbled, we gain the wisdom that we sought or thought we had. We gain the righteousness. Do you know we're called the righteousness of God? Can you believe that? I mean, that's outrageous. We're called his righteousness because of it's imputed to us. It's given to us as a gift because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're sanctified. God is helping us to grow. We start from like a seedling, and but you know what? We're we're going to grow, and we will grow, and we're 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 given the gift of redemption, the the gift and hope of eternal life in all of eternity. All of this from Christ, none of it from ourselves, and it's glorious and wonderful. And it, it allows us to perhaps do something that sounds a little, a little bit of a contrast to everything I've said. It's the last verse in this passage. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord right? I mean, we can do that. You can say, God has done incredible things in my life because I'm nothing, because I have nothing to offer. And it's, it's that boast. I mean, that's, I actually think it's a practice. I think it's a commandment. And you know what? When we boast in the Lord, we, you, you might think, well, I don't even know what that looks like. Well, let me give you a few ideas. One of them is to simply testify to what God is doing. You know what God has done in my life? In the, I just did it a moment ago. You know what God's done in my life in this past year? It's unbelievable. It's incredible. And I, to God be the glory that I am a different person and have been changed, or I've been used by God to help another person. That, that is testifying. It's also to speak the truth to someone who needs that truth, to speak it in love, but to be bold and to be willing to be used by God to help another, another saint to grow in their, in their knowledge of him or to help an unbeliever to come to Christ. You know, that's because really at the heart of sharing the gospel is boasting in the Lord. It's proclaiming the gospel itself. It's, it's to teach to be willing to teach somebody. You know, I don't care if it's children or, or adults or peers or, or what it is, but when we are willing to do that, there's a little element of boldness that needs to happen, and it needs to be bo- bo- the idea of boasting in the Lord. And perhaps the best thing we can do in all of this is to set a good example, to set an example of having God's strength in our weakness, to set an example of having understood a bit more about God, to have his wisdom in, in the midst of our own foolishness. It's to have, have to testify with boldness in, in our own humility. And it's to boast, to truly boast in the Lord. And that is the exact opposite of trash talking. 
It is the exact opposite. It's boasting in what God has done and it's proclaiming the goodness of who he is. Will you close in a word of prayer with me? Lord, you are, you are something else. How you, how you have done everything for us. We, we thought we were wise. We thought we understood you. We thought we were strong. We thought we could win that race to Hawaii. And you showed us our folly. You showed us our weakness. And then you took care of things. You saved us. Not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of your mercy. And then as we've grown in our knowledge of you in the body of Christ, you continue this process. The process of, of at the same time humbling us and at the same time giving us great courage and great strength. Continue to do that. Use us. Help us to boast in you. Help us to be unified in our understanding of what it means to be brothers and sisters in your name. And let us avoid all the pitfalls of, of boasting, but rather to boast in you. Thanks for this good reminder from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.